Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Scott Bakula. Welcome to the Theater Podcast with Alan Seals. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Theater Podcast, intimate personal conversations with the industry's biggest names. I'm your host, Alan Seals, and our guest today is none other than Scott Bakula. If you are of a similar age as me, you probably remember Scott from Quantum Leap, one of my all-time favorite shows as a kid, which, of course, we're going to cover. But in case you didn't know, Scott was a singing and dancing man first before he ever made it into TV and film. So that story is actually really, really incredible. And did you know he's also got a Tony nomination for some work that he did even before he was in Quantum Leap. That's kind of insane. So his story's amazing. Can't wait to share it with you. As always, you know what to do. Find me online and all the social medias. Tag me in your stories. Let me know you're listening. And do the thing. Tell your friends. Help this podcast grow. Leave a rating and a review wherever you're listening. And please enjoy this episode with Scott Bakula. Oh boy, guys. Oh, oh, there we go. I didn't mean that, but now I'm going to use that. Oh, boy. I am absolutely thrilled to introduce today's guest, who for five years, from 1989 to 1993, commanded the leading role of Dr. Sam Beckett in one of my all-time favorite shows, Quantum Leap, which earned him a Golden Globe Award and multiple Emmy nominations. Other TV and film credits include, of course, Captain Jonathan Archer on Star Trek Enterprise, American Beauty, Necessary Roughness, Murphy Brown, and Ray Romano's Men of a Certain Age. Aside from lending his voice to animated series such as American Dad, The Simpsons, and Archer, this guy also has a Tony Award nomination for his performance in the 1988 Broadway production of Romance Romance, having made his Broadway debut in a show called Is There Life After High School in 1982. In a Additional, oh, additional stage credits include Marilyn from 1983, Three Guys Naked from the Waist Down in 1985, for which he received a Drama Desk Award nomination, and not just an incredibly handsome face. He can sing and dance, folks, and is now showing off those skills eight times a week as Conrad O'Brien in The Connector, which was just extended through March 17th at MCC Theater here in New York. Scott Bagula, welcome to the Theater Podcast. Thank you. I'm exhausted from that introduction, though. I don't know how you're doing it. <laughs> well, I, I had my coffee. And um, we need to point out that, you know what you know to what day we're recording this? Do you realize what day this is? I do. It's Leap Day. Leap Day? Yes, yes. We used to have special kind of leap every four years. We had a leap, one leap day during the time when we were shooting Quantum Leap. So that was a big deal. We made it. We had some event festival kind of thing, which was cool. That's cool. Yeah, when uh, when your team confirmed this on the 29th, I was like, I hope they did that on purpose. I highly doubt they did, <laughs> but I thought it was such kismet. I was like, I had to call that out. I'm um, sure some some um, under the subconscious world, we I was like, yeah, that's we got to do that because somebody else had called and specifically asked, can we do something for Leap Day? And I said, I don't have time to do that, but I do. I'm here doing this with you. <laughs> oh, I appreciate it. I appreciate you. And seriously, though, I mean, I know you're tired. You're got to be tired talking about Quantum Leap. Um, We'll touch about it a little bit because we'll go through no. your, your career and everything. But I have to say, though, there are very few people that I, in this, in I guess with everybody that I've interviewed in the, the circles that I am fortunate enough to kind of be part of these days, there are very few people who still like kind of make me a little bit nervous. It, it, one might say <laughs> fanboy. And 
So you are one of them because it's. I realized that it's the it's the people who were in the shows or or did things that influenced me as a young child. And I'm 43 mm. now. So you're still a young Leap. child. Still a young child. <laughs> 40. Yeah, Quantum Leap was just. It, it got me into appreciating sciences and science fiction and like the possibilities of time travel and all sorts of other things. I just love that kind of stuff. And then side note, I met Mark Summers the other day too, because Mark Summers has a, a show off Broadway as well. So like meeting uh -oh. you two back to back, I'm, uh -huh. I can die a happy man now. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's not talk about dying anything. But, okay. Uh, okay. No, it's, uh, it's, I, I, you know, I grew up with just a love of science fiction myself. So ironically, I've been, so lucky and fortunate i've done a bunch of sci-fi work in my in my career and i don't know why that is necessarily but i'm certainly open to those kinds of ideas so maybe when i get a script i'm not like i don't get this or i can't do i don't want to do this i don't like you know i'm always like, yeah i you know get it bring me more so that show was simply i mean we talked about big concepts but but it was a very simple, subtle kind of show and uh, reduced to its bare, you know, the basics. It was just about trying to, you know, walk a couple miles in somebody else's shoes and see what that life, their life would be like and how that affects everybody else's lives. So, and, and it was, uh, it was a great, it, really a great show to be a part of because it was Don Belisario, who's a legend and, and then Dean Stockwell, uh, who was just a yeah. buddy of mine. And then we had the best crew and directors and people that I'm still friends with that still direct me and, you know, in NCIS and stuff like that that I've, that I've just, I've, I've kept, you know, up with because um, they, they profoundly affected my, my journey. Well, Dean became a, a mentor to you, yeah? Yeah, very much so. I mean, I, you know, I lived in New York for 10 years. I'd, I'd gone to L.A. with a, a show called Nightclub Confidential, a musical, and uh, and of course, as as life goes, two years into being in L.A., and I'd been getting some work in L.A. and I'd done some guest spots and designing women, and I and I'd, I'd had my own uh, uh, a nine episode failed uh, series called Gung Ho based on the movie, and then I did Eisenhower and Lutz with Alan Burns and uh, all these great Henderson Forsyth, a very famous, uh, well loved uh, uh, New York actor, and we we became fast friends. But he came out to L.A. and and Pat Richardson and. Uh, uh, Delane Matthews and I had such such great early success there and then bang I get romance romance and I come back to New York get a Tony nomination and we had a, you know a very kind of high profile for a little tiny show uh, a lot of attention and then I after six months or so I decided it was time to go back to New York and a month after I mean back to LA and a month after that the quantum audition showed up and, really? Um, yeah. And I, I don't know, you know, I always think, I wonder if I'd stayed in New York and been put on tape and if I would have still gotten it. And I don't, I, I, I don't know. Steven Weber was one of the guys who flew out from New York and we've become buddies over the years. And I always thought if that had been me, I don't know. I just don't know if I would have gotten it or not. But that, um, I hear that a lot from people now, especially post COVID <laughs> or during COVID. And then now it's continued out of COVID that there's so many casting directors just find it easier for them to accept all these self tapes and everything. But oh, it makes yeah. it so much harder on the actors because they have to be their own lighting designer and audio engineer and videographer and then get into character and learn their lines and all that stuff. No. It seems impossible. It's a terrible, it's a terrible state of our business, and it's and it's been perpetuated. It was kind of going there before COVID, 
just being a I'm, I'm on the other side of the camera you know a lot I have been a lot in the in, during other projects and you just don't get the same vibe as when somebody's in the room it just does there's no way to do that yeah and and I've seen so many self tapes and I feel so bad for everybody that's doing a self tape including myself you know I, I think that one of the last self tapes I did uh, which has been a minute but was for the the revival of Annie and I was in my I was in my living room in Los Angeles singing uh, I, don't, I don't know if it was NYC or whatever it was and, and it was just like what 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 well, I mean I'm never I, I'm never gonna get this and and I you know and I didn't and and that's fine but I just feel to, especially for the young people who are trying to 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 get started it it's it's so there's it's such an empty kind of experience and and the reality is in the old days, and I'm old, but you develop a relationship with the casting people when you go in and meet them. You develop a relationship with the director who may who may say, you're too tall for this part, but I'm gonna remember this guy for mm -hmm. another time. And are you, you know, you go in and you have a terrible audition, but it, all of that is live experience that you add to your, you know, to your your mechanism, to your your um, instrument, and um, you you build off of that. And there's a kind of a oh well, you know, I'll just I'll throw up my little gray tarp and get my little mirror, you know, my little circle light and and do it, and I'm done. Moving on to the next thing, and it, it's it's very uh, limiting in my in my opinion. And I've I always want to be with people in the room. Huh, that's that's really interesting. I, I agree too. There's so much you can pull from someone's energy and sure. the way that someone else responds to a line or whatnot. I mean, chemistry readings are a real and necessary thing mm. because sure. you could be the greatest actor uh, and then like go back to Dean Stockwell, right? If you guys could have been like oil and water and then the scenes don't work. Right, and we we read together for Quantum, and and we read. There were other beautiful actors that were reading for that part. I was already cast, and then they were they were looking for Al, and you know Dean and I rode down in the elevator when it was over, and I just said, you know, I I, I just can't imagine that we're not going to do this together because it just he was so good, and and I was blown away, and I just thought I. I it just felt like it was going to happen, and, and thank goodness it did. But that's a big part of it, that you get chemistry. You also are allowed to be directed by, if the director is in the room, because that used to happen in the old days, and now that doesn't happen anymore. Uh, I think a lot of directors, no offense to them, but they're not that comfortable with actors. And um, a lot hmm. of directors aren't, don't necessarily, a lot of directors don't come through the theater um, where they're, you know, f forced to work with actors. And they're <laughs> able to, you know, when you have the ability to sit on a monitor off, you know, away from the set and watch somebody, you're not really experiencing what they're doing because you're not, you're not next to them. You're not, you're not feeling it. A lot of people just, they're not that comfortable with actors. And that's, um, the business is losing uh, a huge element of what we all got into the business for in the beginning was to be in these interesting relationships with people and develop characters and work on things together and create a, a role and create a character. And there's there's a little bit of this that's crept into to be in our into our world, 
witness us doing this on Zoom instead of being in a room together. Or, or but the, that's where the podcasts are. That's where the people get their information. The TikTok mm-hmm. world, all of that stuff. So we are slowly kind of insulating ourselves whether it's intentional or not, and there's a loss there in the creative process, I think. Oh, I I 100% agree. And and it comes from, I think, a a fundamental loss of of being able to connect with somebody literally at the basics of human connection of uh, eyesight, looking somebody in the eyes, physical touch of like hugging somebody, greeting somebody. It's so isolating to be in Zoom all day with people and never be able to bump into them, like literally bump into them, whether it's yeah. affectionate or not. Like you step around people, we're just we're herd animals and we need companionship um, sure. in whatever form that takes. So I, I 100% agree with you. Um, I want to. I mean, just the reality up. that you and I got to meet each other last night. I have a different. We have a different relationship today. Yeah. Because we we shook hands and said hello, and we were in a milling around with a bunch of people, and and you were kind enough to come see the show and all of that stuff. So there's a there's a there we already have history you know and and if the, we met again or talked again the third time we'd have more history and that's just the nature <laughs> of what we do i want to i want to go back to to little scott because you mentioned that you were in you were into sci-fi and i know you were born in st louis i think you grew up in the st louis area too right so mm-hmm. it, around missouri into sci-fi and you said something um, a second ago that, that made me think, yeah, you're a theater dude. The, it's creating together. It's connecting. It's being with other people in the same room and bringing this art form together. How did you get into, I guess, get out of St. Louis into TV, <laughs> film, musicals? And it sounds like you always wanted to do theater first. Yeah. Um, well, I start, you know, I'm a singer first. Uh, I started doing things with my with my and I'm a musician I'm a piano player and so I had a rock band very early and I was I was comfortable and liked doing that a lot and then I um I sang in with a with a kids choir with the symphony when I was in 5th grade and somebody that the the music teacher had suggested that I do this symphony thing and I did that and that was fun and she went to the same I went to this Presbyterian church in St. Louis they were doing a, um, a Christmas operetta, uh, Amal and the Night Visitors, if you're familiar with that. And she suggested to the musical um, minister of music at that at the church that I could possibly play that part. And so that kind of, that was it for me. I was with some beautiful, fantastic, gifted actors and singers, especially and musicians. And so that was kind of the bug. And then I just started doing plays and continued with the rock band and then that led to godspell and joseph and um uh, shows like that and uh, and plays and i just kept pursuing and pursuing it and then i had a decision to make when i quit college because i was thought i was going to do a national tour of godspell that fell apart (laughs) which was that's a whole nother story but i think i want to go to new york and because i don't know anything about the tv and film industry uh in st louis and off I came to New York. And I, my intention was never, I never thought I would, I wasn't interested in film or TV. That wasn't part of a dream of mine or anything. I just thought, I wonder if I can get to New York and, and make a living as an, as a, as an actor in the, in the, the theater. That's insane. I, I, I mean, you don't think about this stuff, especially as a kid, right? So in 89, I was, uh, I was eight or nine, depending on 
when it started when I started watching, but um, <laughs> nine ish, we'll say. Yeah, yeah. And then you think that everybody you see on TV has just always been doing that, you know, yeah. especially when you're nine years old, and yeah. you had already been headstrong, er, headfirst into into theater and in a playing piano in a rock band. Uh, I assume, right? You were playing piano. Yep. That oh, was yeah, that's yeah. insane. Um, like which electric was, key, pe- electric keyboards yeah. and piano. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, just all of this that people don't don't hear about. They're just like, oh yeah, this guy shows up and all of a sudden he gets this great show, and then the career is made. But no, there's just years and years and years of struggle and hardship and trying. Oh yeah, and rejection. Yeah, but it's, I, you, it's, you know, the the New York years, I would never. I mean, I, it's been kind of profound to come back here. Uh, you know, I, I think we hear more often we hear the story of the oh my gosh they they you know that's a child actor and they they've been doing that their whole lives and and they've been they were in this show I was looking at uh, we saw Sweeney yesterday and I was looking at Aaron's bio and he's done you know he's just he's been killing it for years mm-hmm. I mean we all we all know Sutton's story but it, but most of us you know there's there's it's not immediate it's struggle i also had to you know i had a lot to learn i you know i was kind of off the boat with from st louis with not a lot of i remember somebody very early saying to me i think it was in st louis before i left but somebody came to see a cabaret that i i had done cabaret somebody said rudely but honestly said you don't even know how to stand on stage and i was like well i was like what's he talking about <laughs> I, I, hadn't, I hadn't even thought about it and i was like oh okay well there's more to this than just showing up and knowing you're singing your songs but uh i i've been i've been so lucky and and i was what i was going to say was I, i'm so struck by the struggle of new york the greatest city in the world for theater in my opinion folks in london might disagree but it's really hard it's really really hard and and nowadays it's way harder than it used to be because there's so many there's so many fewer options the the, the summer stock theaters and all yeah. those, so many of those are gone and every summer you know we would run in you know march and april and and you'd go you'd have three or four or five auditions a day for all these different summer stock shows that were going out and and you know you just see everybody everywhere and it was it was this kind of communal thing and uh, those things those those and that was just like oow that's a training ground I can go there and I can do Shenandoah for a summer you know in, in ten different you know theaters around the eastern upper northeastern seaboard and have a you know for a week each place and have a ball and make a bunch of friends and some of those people grow go went on to be directors and then they'd hire mm-hmm. me for something else or whatever and you built that that community and here going back to what we were talking about just the isolation of, of the business it's hard to it, it's just harder to to find your way through it and um, Fergie the regular Willis in the show and he was asking me, he said, I just, you know, how do we, how do we navigate this stuff? I said, I, I, you know, I can't really tell you because I don't, I don't, I didn't have to figure out a website and, and followers and people to, you know, sample my uh, recordings of a thing I did at a club. So, you know, all that and wow. put all that together and keep, keep putting, adding information every day to keep myself hip and vital and, and current. And, <laughs> and uh, it's just, I was just like, you know, I went to my singing lessons. I went to my dance classes. I went to my, uh, you know, my acting classes. And then I went to auditions and I uh, cobbled 
cobbled together enough food to pay the rent of 150 bucks, you know, for my little stupid studio and up in Spanish Harlem. And, and, and that's all I kind of had to worry about. And there's so much more. And, and do your own auditions now and, and, mm -hmm. and figure out all of that stuff. And, and the agenting thing has changed. And, and, and it's just, it's, it's so much more complicated. And there's a lot more competition. And these young kids coming out of schools, they're good. You know, they're yeah. not just hacking around. I was kind of hacking around when I got to New York a little bit. I can remember just horrible early auditions where, I, you know, 16 bars, and I was like, oh, my God, how am I going to whittle this down and do that? And, and they, you know, it just disasters. Hang on, everybody. We're just going to take a quick break. All right, now we're back. I just feel for the, the, the people that are, that fight to be in New York and try and make it in New York. It's, it's, a, it's not easy. It's tough, and I love Fergie too, Fergie Philippe, because um, he's got a he's got a podcast with Broadway Podcast Network too. So um, about it's called it's time to meet the Muppets. He's a huge Muppets fan. I don't know if you, <laughs> yes, you two I know. have talked about that. I, well, I do yeah. because well, I'm friends, good friends with Frank Oz, who directed me, and yeah. and Fergie has has become friends with Frank and his wife. Uh, Victoria and we had dinner uh, just uh, two weeks ago, all of us together, and um, and we just had a ball. <laughs> Frank Frank is hard to Frank's Frank's personality is hard to break into. <laughs> but, oh yes, you are, but once you, you get in there, correct, and that's intentional. <laughs> that's intentional. Yeah. He he, di he directed me to the Chocolate Factory in in uh, in London and a few years ago, and uh, he people would come from far and wide. With a you know with a poster of Yoda and uh, for him to sign and he would be out the back door going the other direction. <laughs> it just seems like, and and he's got his own rules. He's got his own standards, and I applaud him for that. He's got boundaries, and uh, I I I could use a few lessons from him really on that because I'm I'm not that good about that stuff. Well, I think I think you're doing great, and that's why I said at the beginning I always give people an out if things if if they're I assume they're always asked questions about things like you know in your case quantum leap I'm like I'm sure you're always tired about it so that's your chance to jump in and say yeah I'm kind of tired so I take the hint and move on to something else but yeah you know, like yeah it's just interesting no, um, I appreciate that and I want to move I want to move over to the connector uh, you brought up the connector with Fergie um, it's such an amazing show i knew it was good i didn't know it was this good and i saw it yeah. for the first time last night well it's a fictional story based on true events right so it's yes. basically um you own a a magazine company this whole thing set in the late 90s where like the big magazine boom was was happening and the internet was just becoming a big thing so there was all that competition and so you own the company there's this new hotshot comes in from stanford and just blows it all up by creating what we should call alternative facts mm -hmm. because yeah. that's the word being thrown around today in 2024 unfortunately yeah. yeah um so i guess the connector for you have you has your view on journalism changed after doing the show because the, it i think the whole show in general sort of throws to the audience what's more important literal truth or what seems to be the truth you yeah. know perceived truth yeah there's so much the show is so dense it's so it's you we can sit and talk about you know the difference between truth and facts for the rest of the time that we're chatting here and what does that even mean and who's sitting around contemplating that but because some of these issues have become that have been thrown into our face uh in the last few years when somebody uses the expression alternative facts 
it, it just sends, sets the world upside down. The show is, is so poignant. And, and yes, um, I've learned a lot more about how often this happens in the, uh, the, the literary world, how often it really? has happened. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, when we first day of rehearsal, we came in and, and, and Daisy had sent me, uh, Daisy Prince, who directed it beautifully um, and conceived it. Um, it's her baby, birthed it um, before she gave it to Jonathan to write, who did a magnificent job. I'm not even talking about Jason because you know he's the he's Jason the reason Robert I'm Brown. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's the oh, guy. The score, the score itself yeah. oh, is so yeah. good. It's it's spectacular. Um, but she had a, on a bull, bulletin board, I think maybe 20 different articles or s- different events that had happened, and many of them were from the New York Times of people that had misstated, mis uh, uh, misjudged, or written things too soon. Um, which is what happens in our world all the time now. Um, well, now you have and, to be the one to get the scoop, right? And then they and they all come with a disclaimer. Now we haven't had an opportunity. They say this on MSNBC all the time. We haven't had an opportunity to uh, confirm this, but our par- parent network is saying that they've confirmed it. Blah blah blah. And it is all about the scoop. It is all about, this is also, when did CNN start? The 24-7 news cycle that people have to fill and also have to try and, and stay ahead of. And so it's just brought all of that more and more into focus for me. I have a, a, a 28-year-old son who has been pounding it into my wife and my brain for the last several years that he'll will talk about something. He'll say, well, where did you get that? which who what's the source mm-hmm. you know that they're owned by such and such company so they're going to be their 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 point of view is like oh no no that's not true yeah it is and, and so we've had he's really kind of helped balance my perception about all of taking everybody every word for the new york times is, times is gospel which i quite frankly, believed for years and years and years. But many of the articles on the wall that Daisy had up were from the New York Times. And it's amazing. And it happens at the Washington Post. It happens at the Times. It happens in magazines. It happens in, with books. Oprah had the guy on years ago that had written the book that had claimed it was part of him and then it wasn't really. And it, it's this guy in our show is a great writer but would have been better writing fiction than putting things forward <laughs> as as truth uh, and fabrication. Um, he has a great line at the end of it. He says, I didn't do anything wrong. And to him, that was true. Yeah. He didn't hurt anybody. He found out, you know, he got a mayor to retire. He was part of that. But it turned out the mayor actually was crooked. And yeah. much Excuse like me. the mayor in Washington, D.C., who <laughs> went down a few years ago smoking crack and da-da-da-da-da. So these things are pulled from real-life experiences. They're not yeah. just, you know, casually made up. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's, it's a crazy show, and it's a musical. <laughs> you know, it's, when I got the script, I just thought, this is one of the best scripts that I've read for, a, for anything, you know. But it more, this felt like more of a play with music. And it come to find out when Jason was talking about it a couple nights ago, Jason Robert Brown, who wrote the unbelievable score for many things, but this included, that in the original conception, the only music they were gonna have in the show were the three specialty numbers. 
the three really? made up and then it then the, that was how it started and then it, it grew and grew and grew from there so wow. it, you know it, it's fascinating to see you know and those three brains jonathan and daisy and and uh jason are just they're all three very smart and uh we just kind of i just kind of sat back and said yeah bring, you know bring it on let's let's do this and i felt i'm i'm so fortunate to be a part of the show well daisy Daisy Prince is the daughter of <laughs> Hal Prince, legendary Hal Prince. Yeah. And then Daisy, uh, I mean, like the apple does not fall far from the tree no. there. And why, I mean, there's little things about the show that, that I that I just love and I don't understand. Do you, were you ever told why, um, you know, stages are raked often, which means that the back is higher yes. than the front. Um, why is your stage raked and it's raked from the f- to the front, the back and left to right? It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a double cool. rake. It's, yeah. it's a double rake. Um, sidebar, before I answer that question, we had a physical therapist who came in and to help everybody. When they have a rake on a stage, they, they want to talk to the dancers and because your body gets affected by that. Yeah. And she, we met on the stage and she said, basically, you guys are screwed. <laughs> she said, I'm used to one rake, you know, back to front going down. But this is you. You know, you turn one way and you're this way, and you're at the top over here, and you're down over there. Um, the point of it is, the reason for it, and and the reason for a lot of things in the show. Daisy wanted people to feel somewhat disoriented and and uncomfortable, and oh. things are everything's a little bit out of whack. Like my desk in the opening scene, I've got a square room, but it's put in a, in a funky angle in in the room. And at other scenes, it's straight on. And so she wanted everything to be some, a lot of the, the movement early on in the opening number, um, the whole world changed. Um, it's a little stilted and a little the 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 other actors are have their backs to the audience and it's a little like what's going on so she wanted that to feel a little uh, not comfortable people aren't totally comfortable oh i get what the show is because you don't you don't know where the show's going and that's been fascinating to watch audiences because the space is so intimate you see i can see people's faces and i yeah there are times i'm talking to the audience in the beginning especially and you just watch people get sucked into the show and they're leaning in their seats oftentimes i see mouths just kind of open you know just uh what what's happening now um it's it's really uh kind of a journey we all go on together and a lot of people aren't expecting it because they've come to see a, a jason robert brown musical they're not they didn't really think it was oh about a magazine whatever you know and then bang it just it it, it takes them places they weren't expecting well we have to go there we have to think about it and i love i love how it reflects back on the audience like we were talking about at the very beginning what's more important perceived truth or literal truth mm-hmm. because i mean as a parent you tell you have to tell little white lies sometimes mm-hmm. to not just destroy your children yeah and so that i would classify as perceived truth not literal truth because you so but when you're doing journalism god i mean how do you train someone the general public how do you train them to be their own fact checkers and and i love how this show just throws that back at you of like you need like what your son is doing for you and your wife mm-hmm. you actually have to question even if you it is from a trusted source just step back and question where and why this is being presented to you uh, the yeah. why is important too 
Yeah, well, and we it's it's it it pops up everywhere societally now. For instance, uh, the same son, his first year in, in high school, he had a history teacher, and the first day of class, the history teacher said, "Okay, here's your history books. Okay, close your books. Look at the front of the book." Does anybody know uh, Daniel uh, Friedkin, who the writer of this book? No, nobody knows who he is. Okay, I want you all to understand that what's in this book is his opinion about history. Huh? So don't believe any of it. Check it. Do other. Find other sources. This is the text that we're using, but it's this one. This guy's opinion about history, and of course, I mean, I grew up in a time when nobody talked about. So many things in U.S. history, and we find out more and more things that are that are that are buried. I mean, I grew up in the Midwest, and we're watching the new Scorsese film, the Flower Moon. Um, that just happened. That was in Oklahoma. I mean, I never I never got educated about Juneteenth. I never I didn't know anything about this yeah. Indi whole Indian massacre, that whole thing that was going on down there, and that's just I didn't know about the the Japanese internment camps in Utah. Mm -hmm. I came to L.A. I worked with a, a, a Japanese-American actor. I said, where were you born? He said, Utah. I said, Utah? That's interesting. Uh, and he said, well, that's where my family, we were in the camps there. And I was like, what are you talking about? Wow. And I felt like a complete idiot. But that my school didn't teach. That wasn't yeah. part of our, our learning. And now we're getting this little, you know, everybody's squeezing down on what, what, what we can learn, what's true, what's, I mean, the end of the show. And he says, there never was a Holocaust. We know there's, you walk around New York City and you see the billboards and they're, uh, the, those little moving signs that change. I, they're new since I've been here that, that give you interesting <laughs> facts. And, yeah. the, you know, oh, 38% of the people between the ages of 18 and 49 believe that there's, uh, there's no anti-Semitism uh, in the United States of America. 28% uh -huh. believe that there, that there wasn't a Holocaust. And you're like, what's happening? Uh, <laughs> the sidebar on that real quick, my seventh grade, I, North Carolina, first in roads, last in education. That's our unofficial <laughs> slogan. Um, could have changed since I've been in high school. My seventh grade social studies teacher asked us to make our own decision as to whether or not the Holocaust happened. And I went home to my Jewish mother who flipped her <laughs> shit. Yes. Yeah. I anyway, so that's there. That's there and, 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 and is growing kind of like a wildfire and it's scary. Yeah, it is. It is. It's, and well, there's confirmation bias that people look for there there's again going back to what we were talking about at the very beginning herd mentality means you want to connect with people and often that means you want you're unconsciously looking for people who share your same beliefs and your same <laughs> your same viewpoint and if you are in a bubble and there's no I'm not trying to be offensive to anybody who lives one way of life or another if you live in a certain bubble and you're not open to people outside of that bubble everyone is not going to grow. You're just right. going to continue to repeat the same bubbly behavior. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, he, again, another great line from the show, we, we look for people who believe the same things that we do, Yeah. which, which uh, Ethan sings at the, at the end of the show. But yeah, it's, um, I mean, fascinating times, but it's, it's, it's hard to, to digest a lot of the times. Hang on, everybody. We're just going to take a quick break. All right. Now we're back. And also, we're 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 pulled we're pushed and pulled by all these sources now, because being the age that I am, I can remember when the internet was starting, 
and Wikipedia was starting, and people yeah. were just feeding, they were writing stuff and throwing it on there as fast as they could. Who was doing that? They were interpreting whatever they wanted to and saying, right. well, let's, we just gotta make code. We gotta load stuff on there. We gotta fill up our site and hurry, hurry, hurry. And there's stuff that stayed on there. For instance, people th threw stuff on there about me that stayed on there for years that was inaccurate. Then I used to say, people would start an interview a certain way and I was I knew immediately that they all they'd done was gone to Wikipedia and they'd read the misinformation that Wikipedia had printed on there about where I lived and it said da 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 da, da and they were always asking me the same question. So what's it like living up there? I said, I haven't lived there in eight years. That's old news. And you guys, I, I know you didn't do any any other further research than that. You went to <laughs> Wikipedia to prepare for this interview. But that's the world oh, we live yeah, in now. It's sad. Well, Wikipedia, at least, they, they're like, you have to cite your sources, but then the sources you're citing, if they're not fact-checked, then it's, it becomes this compound problem. Yeah, I, I, yeah. yeah I agree. I 100% agree. <laughs> um, okay, so I know that we are running short on time and we need to wrap. I want to close doing fine. with... We're doing fine. We're doing fine. Well, I want to close we, with three questions that I ask <laughs> everyone. Actually, no, uh -oh. no, 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 no. No, before I get to the standard questions, there was something... Yes. You said we're doing fine on time, so I want to bring this up. Yeah. Back to Quantum Leap for a quick second. The <laughs> final title card, Dr. Samuel Beckett never returned home. A typo! <laughs> Who's going to live... Who got... Yeah, did you, did you know about this? No. Dr. No. Samuel Beckett, they spelled it with one T. The final, final title card well, has a typo. We no, we always spelled it that way. No! Don, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah, Don never Dr. spelled it with two Ts. Samuel Beckett. People Beckett. spelled it the way they wanted to because they wanted to be like the writer. So listen, when I do Dr. Samuel Beckett in Google, yeah. here we go, here's yeah. misinformation okay. that has perpetuated for decades now. Sam Beckett. It, with two T's is the official spelling here as the fictional character played by mm. you in yeah so so if you look I'd this have up to go look, get an old I gotta get an old script and just look in a script I swear to you that that final title card it's been it's been a, a cult thing for decades of that final title card has a typo in it I kind of as you're saying this it I feel like somebody's maybe said this to me once before, but it hasn't been like a big topic of conversation. But, it, but I thought I remember thinking the same thing, and I looked it up, and Don spelled it with one T because he didn't want it to be. He was purposely confusing himself with with Sam Samuel Beckett, but he wanted it to be his his own character. I don't know. Wow. I have to check. I have to check it out. I got to let me know. Let yeah, me know because okay. <laughs> I want to set the record straight on this. Okay. I want. I want to know, but I. I that was such a heartbreaking finale. It was a, a because the show. I don't. I think the cancellation was unexpected, right? Like you guys were in the works for season six. I think we when were, the cancellation yeah, came in, it was one of those things where the classic Hollywood ending, where Don. I always said that Don should have won an Emmy for writing, which he never, never does never has from all the hundreds thousands they we just they just celebrated that we just did a special on the thousandth hour of ncis the combined series <laughs> jesus that's so many yeah. hours Th yeah think about that <laughs> and and four of them are still uh, three of them are still on the air so we were finishing the season there were rumors that we might not f continue so don had to write a script that could serve as the last ever would allow us to come back for a season uh, the next season if if they chose to renew us 
and would also leave the door open if they wanted back then. Sometimes people did little movies of the week. We did a, you know, people would do a wrap up or spin spin it off into a film or do da 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 da. So he carved that last episode out that gives you all of the possibilities um, of the show continuing. If it's over, it's over and it's sad, but then at least Sam's, like I always said, Sam's out there doing good work to this day. That's the that's the hope. Even though we never got home, that he's still out there doing his thing, and that's a that's a happy thought, as opposed to he never got home because we showed that to our children when they were younger, and the, my one son just burst into tears at the yeah. end. He was just like, yeah. "What?" And he felt like you know he'd just been in. I I could just see it on his face. He was so hurt. You never got home. You know he was. It, it, so you, you uh, played that character with so much love and empathy. Like you, we fell in love with Doctor Beckett with Sam. Beckett. Yeah, well, it was great. It was a great character because he was yeah. so immature in his life experiences. So uh, he was able to kind of go wide-eyed into everything. You know, and, and in a way, it's like it's that Midwestern kind of naivete, and yeah. you know, because they haven't been arrayed, they weren't. You know, when we go do the L.A. riots episode, it's like, what the heck? What is this? I'm in the middle of a riot. We don't have those back in in uh, Iowa or whatever. And he he was just like a a blank page. You could just try anything on him, you know. And he was he was willing as a scientist, willing to explore, and he was open to uh, taking it all in. And he had a big heart, and and that kind of just got us got him through. It counterbalanced beautifully by the by the sarcastic, um, <laughs> hard hard living uh, Al Calavici, um, which just was just beautiful, you know a beautiful match and uh, again stuff that you really can't you can't really bring it back today because it's just not appropriate I mean his character Dean's character is hard to write somebody like that these days and have people yeah. accept accept them and, and love that character as much as people love that character and uh, he was definitely had was inappropriate <laughs> um, in, in, in our world view today but um, do, you th- do you think Sam because at the at the end of the the series Sam Beckett learned to control his leaps. Do you think that he purposely chose to never come home? Well, I don't. I don't. I don't take that from that last episode that he learned how to control him. I think he understood. I felt the opposite that he realized that he could never control them. Oh, they kept, so we it's spent, an acceptance. We spent, we spent four and a half seasons trying to like figure it out, and Ziggy's going to do this, or we're going to get it and figure, you know, and uh, the ninety-eight percent chance if you do this, you're going to get home. We spent. We did all that. And at the end, he meets God, Bruce, <laughs> and the bartender, and uh, he just real he kind of gives it up. Then it's just like, oh, wow. okay, I'm I'm a, a, I'm just I'm a serv- I'm a servant, you know, I'm I'm serving a higher, whatever you want to call it, a power. That's my mission in life. And uh, wow, and he and except that's that's kind of the way I took it. And I and so again, it would have been. If we'd gone on, it would have been interesting to see how Don would have dealt with that. And at the same time, we had the built-in gimmick that you could always say, the last leap, I got Swiss cheesed again, and I don't remember what happened the leap before, that I that this happened in a coal mine, I don't remember it, and off, I, off Sam goes to the next. I mean, there were, <laughs> we had a lot of fun stuff planned, and they were thinking about more out-of-the-box out of kind of stuff, but it's a show that, um, 
it's, I'm happy it still holds up. I'm happy when people uh, find it still because it's in reruns and people can find it. And, oh, I'm going to start showing my kid this show, you know. And, well, and, just, like, and, and, just like the connector, too. It deals with some, some serious things in some lighthearted ways and some funny ways while still keeping very true, very true to the, the purpose and the meaning of just doing good. Like, yeah. it was always about just doing good. And Well, uh, you know, the old-timey guys, you know, Cronkite and those guys, you there was such a high moral bar code that those guys lived under that we that we felt or we assumed so we assumed that when they when they turned on the tv and they spoke to us about whatever the moon landing or vietnam or whatever that it was true and that it was um we could trust them and that they were giving us information that wasn't bought for or paid, you know, or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. who who do you turn on for that? Who do you believe? I mean, who could you point you to and say, you, you know, can't. some of the old guys? Yeah, but you, but it's it's hard because they work for a network, and the network's mm-hmm. trying to get ratings, and and it's just not about because there are more than three channels. People are are doing things to sensationalize and and attract people to their chance to, to sell their toothpaste and um <laughs> and therefore they have a, a different motive than just simply the facts the yeah. facts just the facts yeah and it's omitting details is mm-hmm. almost if not worse arguably worse sometimes than telling the whole truth because yeah you could you could stand behind a network somebody an, sorry a network or somebody could stand behind something like oh well we told we didn't lie about anything we didn't make up anything but also on the flip side you didn't tell the whole truth either you left out right. some of the most important facts that then allow people to you know maybe make a decision that would hurt your ratings later on down yeah the line. no they're definitely there's shaping going on yeah, and yeah, yeah, and yeah. Cura- curating going on, and it's like okay, and there there are they have, we've as divided as the country is, we divided the news up also, and and that that in itself is just like no, that's there there's we've got to somehow find a way back to center, where we can accept certain things. The sky is blue with white clouds in it today for the for the most part, and everybody says I agree with you, well, that's true. For the most part. <laughs> okay. Now, final closing questions. I think I need to do that in my Walter Cronkite voice. Let's see. Uh, closing standards. First off, everyone go see the connector extended through March 17th. Okay, I'll, I'll cut that out. <laughs> I I'm not going to cut it, but I'll stop doing no. the voice. Okay, oh, no, first question, very good. simply. Well oh, done. Fr- thank you. Thank you very much. I'm Walter Cronkite. Uh, I also do big mustache banker guy (laughs) you got it (laughs) okay first question just very simply is what motivates you uh my family my family my kids my wife um and and my and and people people motivate me what advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now starting out down a similar path stick with the theater I say that to people all the time, that if you want to learn, build your instrument and and build character and an understanding of how hard it is uh, to do what we do, discover the theater, get into the theater on any level, any level that, that, that you can, um, because there's great joy and, and, and 
just that's the best time. The best people say this all the time. When I was in high school and did the production of that was the most fun I ever had doing that. Oh, when I was yes. when we built our own sets and we were you know uh, figuring out how to. My mom made the costume for Godspell and da 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 da. Just, <laughs> you know, or, that's the best. That's the best time. You know, outside summertime, sweating, doing La Mancha. Uh, in the middle of a hundred degree heat in St. Louis, they couldn't, you know, the the mustache is sliding off my face because the glue won't hold it on. That's the best time, you know. You try and find those kinds of experiences if you can, and and tuck those away because they you you can build off of all of that stuff. It's pure. It's not that it, it, the further along you get, it gets less and less pure. Mm. Okay. That's such a beautiful answer. All right, last question then. Yes. If you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many <laughs> times as you want, what would you see? Oh, my God. Well, I just saw Sweeney yesterday, so I'm kind of all Sweeney'd up right now, but I always, that's one of my favorites. Um, I'll just, I'll leave it there. Sweeney. As, as grim and dark and messed up, there's so many so many elements of that show that I just um, you're not alone a lot of yeah. people have said Sweeney yeah yeah that's yeah. good alright where can okay. we find you on social media I'm there I've got an Instagram and well, I am on Instagram, Threads, TikTok, Facebook. I don't know how to do any of them still. If you're listening and you want to help me out, please send me a DM or something. Let me know you, you want to help. Leave a rating and a review wherever you are listening now. Thank you to Jukebox the Ghost for the intro and the outro music. And Scott Bakula, holy cow, man. It's been such a pleasure and an honor to meet you. And you are every bit as nice and charming and fun as I hoped you would be. And, Thank you, Alan. And it Thank was you. really it was a pleasure to talk to you. It was a ball. Thank you so much. Take a deep breath, make the world a little colorful. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.